heaven? No. It's Iowa. Ben, see that star up there? It'll take five billion years for its light to reach us. Well, I'll be goddamn. Sounds like shit kicker heaven. When the light gets here, I'll still be around talking about movies. That's finger licking good. Is that the sun? I need to leave right now. How about I separate your head from your shoulders? Hope you don't mind none. Actually, I'd rather be burned up by sunlight. We're talking near dark on the pot of dreams. Yeah! Caleb Colton no longer belongs to our world. We'll give him a week to see if we can call him one of us. He belongs to hers. But you have to learn to kill. He belongs to theirs. I don't want to kill. He makes a kill tonight. And they all belong to the night. Just don't think of it as killing. Amen. Amen. Don't think at all. It's just something that you do night after night. It's only ever a question of how. Nerves. I would be too if I were you. Near dark. It'll be your boys falling in with the trouble. Check out time. some time, son. Like damn, it's my family. Let him go. Near dark. Pray for daylight. The night has its price. All right. Well, welcome to the Pot of Dreams. Thank you for joining. We have an incredibly special guest here today, uh, Eric Houston from North Metro TV. Eric, thanks for joining. How are you doing? My pleasure. I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're great. We're doing great. Doing exceedingly well, Eric Houston. And I'm going to use your last names each time I'm referencing you. Yeah, we got double Eric. Double Eric here. It's going to sound awkward. I apologize, but I don't know of a better way to do it. I don't have nicknames for either. Oops, all Eric's. Yeah. Two Eric's and a Ben. So, hey, Eric Houston. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, why don't you just take a second, kind of introduce yourself, talk about what you do, um, kind of your work here, and and then we'll get going into near dark. Sure. So, I'm Eric Houston. I I work at North Metro TV. We're a community TV station in Blaine, Minnesota, um, where we have a we have a public access department. So, if you live in the area, you can come. You can make your own TV shows for free. Uh, we also help people with transferring their old home movies to videotape, so you can do that here too. But a big part of my job is I'm supposed to teach classes, and sometimes that's teaching people about how to use cameras and microphones and things. And lately, uh, that's also about talking about movie history and TV history and things like that. You can find a lot of the history stuff I do on my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash movie man Eric. Uh, Eric Lane was uh, talking about how much he enjoyed my John Wayne documentary. That's there. Uh, that's part of a whole four part 
series of documentaries about the history of the Western, and there's a new one about the TV show Columbo, and there's all kinds of stuff on there. So yes, the the is it the King of Cowboys? Is that what it was called? The genre is super yes. good. I really enjoyed it. So I highly so recommend it. Did you just take? I mean, so uh, this is me just wanting to talk to you then about your process. So you make the documentary. Are you taking mixing in sort of your analysis with footage from old John Wayne and interviews and kind of, can I get a little snippet of your methodology in the creative process between about making the John Wayne documentary? Sure. So it's, yeah, it's like I say that the John Wayne one's kind of a, it's the fourth part of a four part thing called King of the Cowboys, where I'm sort of looking at all the different actors over the history of the Western era that were referred to at one time or another as King of the Cowboys. And so I've, researched it and I it sort of yeah cuts between myself doing a sort of a presentation and talking about the thing talking head style and then yeah clips from clips from movies of the time there aren't a lot of interview footage in these ones just because there isn't a lot of especially going back like John Wayne you can find a couple of interviews of and I was able to find some behind the scenes footage of him making the Alamo that I think is in there but especially going for, I go all the way back to the silent era and there aren't any. Oh yeah. There's just not a whole lot of that stuff guys. in the forties, fifties, sixties. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. I just smart. thought it was so interesting. Like how you're talking about how he grew up in Iowa. Ben's from Iowa. Yeah. So we got a lot of Iowa folks here, but was it go. like an outdoorsy cowboy cowboy kind of guy? Like he didn't want to do that kind of stuff and then becomes an actor and then has his whole life as this tough cowboy. Yeah, he, he had absolutely no ambit. He hated the outdoors. He hated horses, at least when he was young. He he sure. was discovered on the set of, uh, I think, 20th Century Fox, where he was working moving props was his job. And he happened to be spotted and given a starring role in a big, in what was actually the very first widescreen movie ever made all the way back in the, what, early 30s, I think. And yeah, he, he, it's interesting looking, if you watch all four parts of that, there's, you can really categorize these Western stars into two columns. Guys like John Wayne, who for lack of a better word, are inauthentic, are guys who they're very much actors and it's, you know, a role. And then these guys who really lived the life, like a, a contemporary of John Wayne's is Randolph Scott and Randolph Scott came from yeah, he, he had served in the army in World War One, I, I believe, and he had a lot of experiences with horses and, you know, all and that goes all the way back to the silent era where there were guys like Tom Mix who were just Western stars who made up a lot of who just made up their own histories to publish, claiming that they were things that they weren't. And then a guy like William S. Hart, who was a genuine old west cowboy who knew people like the real bat masterson and tried to bring a lot of realism into his western films yeah people it's john wayne's usually the example anybody gives about the difference between an actor and a movie star sure john wayne was charismatic and captivating but you never got the feeling that he was disappearing into a role he was just so commanding his screen presence this is when i always heard people cite as a movie star yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And I don't think and I, I don't think John Wayne's bad. There are plenty of John Wayne movies I like, but it is interesting to like, uh, you know, a thing I found out when I was researching the video is, is that John Wayne was bald 
and he kept that hidden very well. But you can go on YouTube and you can find home movie footage of him walking around his boat without his wig on. Like bald his entire life? Like adult life, I assume. Yeah, his adult. And I mean, that's true of a lot of actors. This kind of receding hairline, like that. I would say more like, well, uh, podcasts are, of course, a famously visual medium. (laughs) Right. Well, that's more for you, not for the listeners. I'm just using that as a reference for myself. Yeah, yeah. people. But yeah, no, he, he was, you know, yeah, he, he was a bald, which is, there's obvi- I'm bald. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But it's just bald that. is beautiful. But, but Wayne, you know, part of this, I think this sounds like a knock, but it's something I do admire about him is he was such a master of his image. He was a guy who would watch his performances over and over so that he could hone exactly how he walked and how he moved and how he was being perceived by audiences. You know, there's, and I don't, I'm not accusing you of this, Ben, but I think that there's a way of talking about the difference between actor and movie star that can be a little bit derogatory toward movie star. But, you know, guys like that John Wayne or Tom Cruise, they don't fall out of bed looking like that. that It is a skill in and of itself. And Wayne was a, a master of it. Oh, I, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's bad to be a movie star. Um, I mean, that's why they get paid loads of money and mm-hmm. why they're so fun to watch. Um, and not saying it's not work. Um, just that there's a there's a difference between somebody you're rooting for and you care about versus like here's Daniel Day Lewis and I just forget that it's Daniel Day Lewis. It's just a, no, yeah. different from my perception as an audience member. No, no, no. And I'm not knocking John Wayne. Eric Lane doesn't really know this, but I have flirted with a couple of times of doing the searchers on this podcast. So okay. Um, that's on my to-do list. Uh, yeah, we've never done searches. a we haven't done a western yet, so that's good. well before today. Before today, segueing into near dark. That's right. Um, yeah. So just real quick, so moviemaneric.com. That's the URL. Um, or is it northmetrotv.com? Is there a website there too as Movie well? Movie Man Eric will take okay. you okay. to a page on northmetrotv.com. And from there, you can get to the YouTube and everything else. Yes, go check it out. Definitely recommend it. Um, so, yeah, so reached out to Eric, asked him to join, uh, gave him the option to pick whatever movie he wanted in the universe, and he picked Near Dark, which I was very excited for. But, Eric, why Like, why did you pick this movie? Well, Eric. Yes, Eric. <laughs> When you well when you when you when you did invite me uh, onto the show when you sent me the email uh, I had just watched Near Dark the night before and at the time that you asked me it was literally the only movie I was capable of thinking of this is this is a movie that you know I'm sure we'll talk about this has been unavailable really to watch for a long time and it's and for a lot of people it's a movie that they've been wanting to see for a long time I kind of got lucky I had somehow never really heard of it which is surprising because this is exactly the sort of movie I love. Um, but I'd never really heard about it until a month or two ago. I put it on my list as a thing to watch. And then that particular night I was looking for something to watch. I saw that near dark was streaming on shutter and I went, Hey, great. I turned it on and I was just absolutely blown away by this movie. This is such a, beautiful and hypnotic movie not at all what i mean i was expecting sort of a lost boys kind of thing and and what what it is is completely different yeah i, I, I agree it's completely there's like one or two shots where i got vague lost boys vibes like a couple of atmospheric there's weird lighting on a hill but other than that it's very very different than lost boys and i didn't i didn't know anything about this movie other than i vaguely knew vampires that was it 
I'd never seen it nor heard of it, nor do I remember anybody ever talking about it. Well, well um, Lo- Lost Boys is an interesting because like that is like a culturally significant movie. Like everybody knows yeah, Lost Boys. Yeah, At least absolutely. everybody in that sort of grew up in the '80s, '90s. It was on TV did they all the time. Come out the same year. Just as a side note here, did they both come out as '87? Is that both of them? I don't know when Lost Boys came out. I'm, I'm terrible at movie years. I'm absolutely terrible. 87, yeah, they did. Lost right. Boys is 87. So it's weird that, yeah, Lost Boys is the one I've seen, I know people talk about, and was on and around, and Near Dark just seemed to up and vanish. I, yeah, it's a movie that didn't yeah. resonate with my demographic really at all. I don't know. Eric Lane, is that this case for you? And I guess Eric Easton. Yes, 100%. It's like it's such a weird thing because like if you just even look at the cover that would be a movie at blockbuster i would have been like i want i want to see that you know what i mean but i don't remember it being at blockbuster ever i it was never on tv and i had in the last five or six years probably i've heard people talk about it and it's been one that i've like google searched and just couldn't stream it and so when when i reached out to eric houston and he mentioned it's up on amc plus and shutter i i just i saw it on shutter uh, I was super stoked to to check it out, um, but yeah, the, the the speculation we had was that the Tangerine Dream aspect was what made it so difficult to stream. I, that was completely speculating that their involvement in the movie was what was the hang up on why you couldn't get it. But who knows? I don't know why it hadn't been released wide on on digital or on streaming. I mean, there there are definitely some weird rights issues involved. I I hear what you're saying about Tangerine Dream. I the only reason that doesn't ring true to me is just because it's not like it's hard to see legend or risky business. Yeah. And some of Michael Mann's movies, like the thief is on streaming, but I think yeah. what's the other, what's the, his earlier movie that um, is not streaming. I can't, I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but that, that's just total speculation. But, but yes, when you suggested it, I watched it and I was, I was really blown away. I was expecting lost boys there is a lot of vampire stuff in this movie. I mean, it's clearly a vampire movie, but it's a it's a totally different take on it. And um, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Oh, I was just gonna say that Catherine Big- Bigelow, right? I think that that's an interesting place to to discuss because she's like such an important filmmaker for me. And the movie she's made, and again, having not seen this before. It's so crazy to me that her career, what she's done, she was the first woman to win an Oscar, right? As a as best, best director. director. Yeah. Okay. For Hurt Locker, yep. Hurt Locker, yeah. But like, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you just go down her list of, of filmography, this being her first, is it her first solo directing movie, right? Because she did Loveless before that. Uh, but like right. Point Break and yeah, Hurt Locker and, you know, uh, she hasn't made a movie. A bunch of hyper-masculine movies, I just want to point out. These are very, like dude bro movies and I, I love them i'm really not knocking that but they're they're not movies you think when you think female energy or whatever whatever stereotype you want to have about what kind of movies a woman would make it's not what comes to mind so um, i i would actually disagree with that if i may okay. i i Please think do. that i think these movies are very subversively uh feminine there's definitely a lot of trappings of masculinity about these movies but like this this one's a great example of this so the the plot of the movie is essentially that uh that a guy this you know this texan you know kind of cowboy-esque i guess teenager guy named caleb meets a girl named may at a bar and he he tries to put the moves on her and she bites him and turns him into a vampire but 
from the moment she bites him, their power dynamic in this movie completely switches because in all of this and the, all of the scenes of that first night together are just gorgeous. And it's him taking her around Texas and like to this horse ranch. And then at, at dawn trying to take her home, but also he, he wants to, he wants to put the moves on her. So he hides the car keys and sure he's being a real creep and being yeah, very, I have that same thought. Like he's being yeah. an absolute creep ball right now. He's, yeah. He's being very aggressive and very aggro. But then once she bites him, he really becomes like her pet for much of the rest of the movie. He's very, He's lost and he follows her lead and he's completely dependent on her. A big part of the plot of the movie is that he can't bring himself to drink anyone else's blood. So he always ends up suckling from her arm to get his nutrition. Right. But, you know, like I say, he's just completely at her mercy once that happens. Um, Like a baby and a mother kind of situation very there. much so yeah. and then like in you know just to look at you know talks about some of Catherine bigelow's other movies like point break is such a deeply homoerotic movie sure. and sure. you know and then the, sure. the part in that that laurie petty plays where you know she has some interesting you know power dynamics within the scenario it's she does play in what feel, and I, I buy this, I mean, Catherine Bigelow, in what feel like very masculine places, but she also seems very expert at, you know, exposing the, you know, the roots of the masculinity and, you know, sort of attacking it in these movies in interesting ways. Yeah, because doesn't Strange Days have a similar setup where there's this like guy entering a group there's a woman that he's attracted to and then the rest of the group are kind of maniacs like like point break and this have a very similar setup in that way yeah well she's very interested in these marginalized communities yeah absolutely for sure Uh, like vampires you know they're marginalized Mm -hmm. in this movie vampires surfers surfers yeah bomb diffusers you know uh, interesting. They never say vampire in this movie, right? Did I miss that? I never no, they heard didn't. them say the word vampire. And you never see the fangs, right? That never pops up in the movie. Yeah, that's also deliberate. It made me think of, uh, uh, I, I guess, sort of spoilers for Midnight Mass, another movie that kind of deals, I mean, very, very different. But they take the same approach of we're not going to use the word vampire and we're not really showing fangs. We're not going to really talk about the conceit um, in I traditional also- words. I also like that they were kind of like scavengers, you know, they weren't, you know, they weren't a, like at seeking out. They were just kind of finding people on the fringe to feed on, a, you know, like at the bar and, um, you know, but, but I think that's like a, a kind of a different depiction of like usually vampires are just like rich, tough, like. Yeah, they're very regal and yeah. ancient and they've read all the great literature in their lives look elegant and this is the opposite. This is, it looks miserable to be a vampire in this movie. I mean, it does oh. not look appealing even slightly. Oh, I think it looks like a blast. My one, my one qualm with this movie is that I am on the side of the vampires the whole time. Oh, wow. The whole time at the, you know, I guess, spoiler alert. But, you oh know, yeah. The, well, we just, we'll talk about whatever we want to talk about. Cause I definitely sure. want to talk about but, the ending. But at the, at at the end of the movie, Caleb manages somewhat ridiculously via blood transfusion to de-vampire himself and then de-vampires may and all the other vampires end up dead um but i was i was so upset because this you know i i did i i identified very strongly 
with the vampires i that you know sort of the marginalization of their society i mean they're bigelow is very good at portraying them as as other right as not a part of human society so they're really just doing what they need to do to survive and especially that early hunting montage where there where we see so Bill Pax, the, the cast of this movie is unbelievable. Bill Pax, yeah, we, we got to we got to talk about Bill Paxson because he is throwing a thousand miles an hour in this movie. But yeah, yeah this is this is some A level yeah. Paxton, but he he sort of dresses up like a gigolo to attract some people. Um, Lance Henriksen and um, oh, I can't think of her name right now. Jeannie uh, Golds, what's her name? The one who plays Diamondback, Jeanette yeah. Goldstein. Jeanette, is. Jo- Jeanette Goldstein. Yeah. she's an aliens also. Right, right. she's Vasquez. Yep, yep. Um, they they sort of pick up some drifters who are also trying to rob them. It's it's all great, and I mean, granted, the movie. There's then a scene. One one of the things I I really loved about this movie is all of those sequences, and um, May and Caleb are like after a trucker. You, with the exception of May and Caleb, you don't see the end of those scenes. You don't see Bill Paxton attack the young women. You don't really see Lance Hendrickson tear into the would-be robbers. So it, you get this opportunity to feel like, you know, and I think I probably misspoke in saying that they're just doing what they need to do to survive because then there's that later great sequence at the Honky Tonk Bar where now you get all of the graphic dismemberment that the movie's been denying you up to that point as they're just ripping people apart on screen. And that's sort of the moment that the movie turns. So it's not, it's not interview with the vampire and, you know, pure romantic immortality. Now it's brutality and terror and just really remarkable stuff. Yeah. Well, so that scene, and this is going to sound like a criticism. It's not, that that honky tonk scene, and you know, I, I I kept thinking western all throughout it. I mean, I love the setting. I mean, we we're talking about the actors, but I love the way the setting, the ambiance, where this all takes place in very rural, mostly southern America. Um, it's its own kind of character in of itself. But that scene was like vile, cynical, miserable, horrible, but wonderful. Um, because, yeah, they're not doing what they need to do. They're reveling it. Bill Paxton especially loves having to murder people. Um, he's not conflicted even slightly morally about it. He's like, this is fun. That seems to be the point for his character. The other ones might be slightly more ambivalent. You know, May seems to be like, oh, this is the, the night has its price. You know, she says that. Maybe for some there's a little bit of moral conflict. But there, that facade mostly goes away. And even for some of the other ones, it's just raw power. I'm sitting here with cattle and, and it was a scene that I love for a lot of reasons. You've seen a bunch of scenes in bars throughout movie history, but I can't remember too many where the bikers actually, everybody in the bar genuinely looked that scared. There's yeah. uh, there's the first one that Bill Paxton screws with, but then there's another one. He's just like, he's just quivering. He's like, I didn't, I didn't see anything, man. I didn't see anything. I didn't see nothing. And I was like, when was the last time I saw like that's not comedic, like somebody looking genuinely scared and just everybody looking terrified. And I just got yeah. the image of like a band of outlaws. I mean, this is you could well, have gone through swinging doors in a Western. And you're like, we own this town. We own this. Um, 
the law can't help you here. And I got those vibes and I, but I, thought I, a, I loved it. But I yeah. thought of Terminator too. Like right when he walks into the biker bar and just like owns the guys, it's that I see the Cameron Bigelow thing is such an interesting dynamic. Like their filmmaking is so similar. They were married for a good deal of time. Right. Yeah, using mm-hmm. some of the same actors. I mean, they just filmed aliens right before with there, wasn't half there, the cast of aliens is in this. Wasn't you know? in one of the marquees didn't, wasn't the movie yeah. Aliens above the movie marquee yes. when he's in the small town? Yeah, so yeah, it's it's interesting because there's a lot. It, yeah, Paxton is he's a Cameron. He's in every Cameron movie. Um, well, Lance so, Hendrickson and then and Diamondback Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's one of the things that really blew me away about this movie is I'm such a huge fan of Aliens, and and was you know and All was time great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a movie that like my dad and I used to bond over. Yeah. I mean, there's we can talk all day about a man showing his, you know, 10 year old son aliens. But, you know, whatever it was. Well, I saw uh, it earlier than that. <laughs> hey, there you go. But, uh, you know, to, to start watching this movie, and yeah, to see, you know, those the every like all of the heavy hitters, except like Sigourney Weaver and Paul Reiser from Aliens are in near dark. And it's and doing amazing like the. It's such a testament to Lance Henriksen, the difference between Bishop and Jesse the Vampire, the just the pure, especially like he does seem, you know, sort of, I don't know, greasy, but like slick and appealing in the first part of the movie. But then when you get to the that honky tonk scene, just the the joy and malevolence as he. He orders uh, he orders a beer and a glass, and then the waitress brings brings those to him, and he tells her to keep the beer that he just wants the the glass, so he can cut her throat and drink it out of the glass. I mean, that's the kind right. of theatrics you were talking about, Ben. That's just yeah, she's terrified. She you generally oh, yeah, and she does I, a tremendous job. Oh, yeah, everybody, those those mm-hmm. little small roles were filled super well. Even the guy behind the bar with the shotgun. I mean, he's he's genuinely anxious and trying to load the shotgun and he's like, he's got a gun, but he's scared to use it. And he doesn't know what's going to happen. He thinks even if I get a shot off, I'm probably not killing all of them. Um, it was great, but I, it, it's interesting to me that you were on the side of the vampires. I was almost immediately not. Um, their position is so precarious, right? They can't live anywhere. They can't stay anywhere. Even may she's at some bar. She's getting hit on by some creep. And she's like starting to panic, like, get me home, get me home, kid, because she's in the car with some random dude who, you know, if his car had broken down five miles away, she'd be burnt to a crisp uh, at that point. Or you see them like panicking to get the blocking the sun in their vehicle because they have to be terrified of the sun. Mm-hmm. So they're they can't live normal the lives. And yes, they have to just drift. Again, I just thought of this like band of outlaws from a Western uh, place to place in just very remote parts of America and preying on people to survive. And then they're just sitting in hotel rooms when they're not killing people, playing cards, um, passing the time, but they spend so much of this movie panicked and anxious. And I thought, wow, that's about the least appealing portrayal of vampires I've ever seen. I say, yeah, Eric Lane mentioned, I mean, it's usually that they're there. It's like, Oh wow. They've survived for hundreds centuries. I like when May said, see that light. It takes 5 billion years for that light to get here. Um, I'll still be around when that light from that star gets here. Um, yeah. But then you're like, oh, this is what you have to do to make it five billion years. It doesn't look fun to me. It looked really, really unpleasant. I, mean, I like that it was antithetical to the Anne Rice. I mean, interview with the vampire. I had an Anne Rice phase 
very intensely uh, in the late 90s. And this is just antithetical to that. I mean, they can't live but, normal lives at all. I mean, it just. Um, but you know, all of those, all of those early May lines, those are, those are my, those are completely my cup of tea. She says, she says all of this kind of, you know, somewhat misguided, but you know, just this really dreamy, it really fits with the tangerine dream score and the, you know, the sort of hypnotic way, you know, way of this movie. She says, Early on, this I think this line is both hilarious and beautiful. She just kind of looks up into the night sky and she goes, "The night, it's deafening," and it's it's so it's like right on the line between it's like that real like kind of art school student line of profound and stupid, but like it really just. I don't know. It it just hit me just right, and I I think one of them later in the movie says the night is so bright it'll blind you there's i i think what i like about the vampires is all embodied in may she just really embodies this sort of i don't know if optimism is the word because I I, it isn't I think she's the most this, idealistic of all of them yeah i there's an idealism to her there's a a sort of a hopefulness to her and like that she can see the beauty in things and you know this whole movie is you know and I'm, I'm really glad you brought up all that fear in the in the bar scene ben because this movie is so i think this movie is less built on plot and less built on when we talked about how it doesn't really deal with vampire lore at all it, it's a movie that's really built on emotion and feeling and you know those sorts of feelings that may in particular has are i think what i find so appealing like i don't I definitely, I watched it a second time for the recording. As I was watching it, I was thinking about how I had felt the first time about sympathizing with the vampires. And you definitely get to a point in that movie where I was thinking, well, I don't want to keep spending any time with Lance Henriksen and the rest of these murder vampires. But I absolutely think Caleb and May should get in a tinfoil-covered station wagon and <laughs> drive to some cave or something somewhere set up shop in a dilapidated mansion or something. Well, that brings up an interesting point. Did you, did you think the love story? Cause I mean, really that's the central the- like s- plot of the movie is this love story between yeah, the two of them. Together. Do you think it worked? Did, did you no, believe it? At all. I see it. That's my, that would be my one criticism of it is like, I don't, it, there wasn't a whole lot of love there. I think when you mentioned the sort of mother child thing, that mm. seemed to really register more than that. They were infatuated with each other. But yeah, that would be my one sort of major. I don't know if this really holds up with the love, the love story of it. Right, and I, and that's part of why I, I kind of don't like that they end up together. And like even when I say they should run away together, I don't think it will work long term. But you know, this movie, like, I don't think you can really ignore the the aspect of this movie that's an AIDS allegory, and you know, that's I think that's all part and parcel. It's not like they they had a night together, right? They had a night together, and then her biting him is symbol—you know certainly symbolic of, you know, some misspent lovemaking or something that has saddled them both with these consequences, sure. right? And I think, you know, being made at that point in the 80s, you know, I, I assume at least that Bigelow is trying to say something about that 
the romance that they're fighting for or that, you know, is the foundation of what's happening to them isn't really worth it in a lot of ways that they're that they're not soulmates per se. And that's where, you know, May's hope and optimism does feel naive in a lot of ways. And I, I, I think it's probably meant to. So that's, the eighth allegory is interesting, and I, I, I don't want to just skip to the last act, but that's the part that I'm most interested in talking about and I'm the most conflicted about. Because for the first two-thirds, I was supremely on board. I never lost. I don't want to use the, that because that isn't true. It didn't lose me, and I loved a lot of things about the ending. I mean, I, I like the shot of him riding the horse into town, and you see, okay, here are all the buildings. I mean couldn't get more Western than that, getting ready for the showdown at high noon, basically, instead of high noon, it's at night. High midnight. But we, ha- the transfusion thing is, uh, if we're doing an AIDS allegory, this is where I feel like the movie kind of flinches. It loses the courage of its convictions a little bit. We're going to write in, okay, if it's an AIDS allegory, a blood transfusion will cure AIDS. It, it won't. Um, or it will cure vampirism. And instead of looking at that central theme um, at the heart of this movie, right? The, that's the question. Will Caleb, that's what it's, what's we're happening, what we're building to, will Caleb kill somebody else for his own survival? Will we get to that point? The movie decides, okay, no, um, we're not going to do that. He's not going to. And we're going to save him from having to kill anybody. And we're going to actually just ride away his problem with being a vampire now which to me is way less interesting than if he's stuck being a vampire and has to make that choice. So there's a central theme here to you, Ben. You want a dark, depressing ending. You don't want no, I any, don't. anything happy in, in the end, and you want them both to be burning vampires because no, of No, not at all. There's a lot of ways you do it that could be happy, um, that, that, that are at least in line. I mean, the movie is so cynical and dark in the first two-thirds. I mean, it's it, it sells the cynicism and the misery super well. Um, if you're going to go the route of, hey, we figured out that transfusions will work, and you have this central question, is it worth it, or are you willing to kill for your own survival? How about ask that question of the other vampires and invert it. Say, hey, you guys can get out of this. Do you want to keep doing it? How about you, Homer? You're a kid. You're stuck looking 12 forever. That's kind of miserable. You complain about it at least, well, basically all throughout the movie. It's a big deal. You're lonely and you're, you want somebody to be stuck as a child with you forever. How about you? We can give you a blood transfusion and you can go through puberty and become a man and actually, you know, find a partner and be looked at. Ask that question of them. See um, if the others would want a way out. It doesn't ask those other characters. We get this awkward kind of confrontation where I don't really understand what Lance Hendrickson and company are doing. Um, it's just kind of muddled and confused. And we don't get the Caleb's going to be the antihero who's going to say, no, I'm not going to kill. I'm going to kill you guys, actually, and I'm ending this all right now. We don't get the I'm going to accept. Well, that's Lost Boys, right? Isn't that? That's basically the plot of Lost Boys. Well, right? or, or we don't get, hey, you know what? I, I accept it. I want to be with May. This is the cost. I think it's worth it. We don't get that either. We don't get any of these directions, which will all be a little more coherent, make more sense from my perspective. So we get something that's kind of muddled and mixed. We don't really get the showdown. It doesn't really make sense. Um, everything's kind of crazy. I mean, I, I loved the big semi thing and the explosion. It looked cool. I like that, you know, they actually exploded a semi. I mean, that's awesome. It looked well, great. Now, hold on. They don't just explode a semi. Bill Paxton climbs onto the front of a semi, burned to a cinder, 
and reaches into the hood and rips out pieces of the engine while screaming at the hero. And then the semi explodes. I mean, this. Yeah, I think, honestly, I think in general, we're, we're underselling Bill Paxton in this movie. Like, he, I, I can't remember a movie that I've seen where one actor just runs away with the movie like he does in this movie. I mean, the scene where he walks in, there's a shit kicker heaven in here in the bar and the, does the Buffalo Bill joke with the beer. Like, everything he says in this movie, the ooh, finger licking good when he sucks the guy's blood. He's just, he's literally just stealing every scene. And, and that where he's he's burning up and rips the hood open is so incredible because uh, you, you hate him, you hate him absolutely. He's terrible, but what what an amazing run by him in this movie. And he he's on the cover of the movie, right? Like when was the last time some like side character became the literally the cover of the of the film? Like he's on the poster. It's crazy. Oh yeah, he's this is this is a hundred percent Paxton. This is. This is this whole so in Aliens there's the there's the game over scene yeah. right there's the game over man I've always hated but everybody else loves yeah but. well this this movie is he's at that energy the whole movie right he's at that level and yep. it is great I love Paxton but you know once you get to like Twister he is really tamped down. And sort of evened out into, and it's not bad. I mean, you know, a movie like um, A Simple Plan, he's fantastic yeah. in working at that kind of level. But this, this just yeah. unfettered Paxton is. This is before he wonderful. stopped decreasing his cocaine intake or something. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, he, he's incredible in this movie. So so great. I heard this is a this is a complete tangent, but I heard recently that during the making of Aliens. James Cameron went up to Paxton and said, hey, I just heard about this new movie that you and I, we have got to go see. And so he and Paxton, I don't know if it was a day off or if they left the set or what, but Cameron and Paxton went to see Evil Dead 2 together. And that just, to me, is everything. I would love to be sitting in the row behind those two watching Evil Dead 2. Absolutely. Um. I don't know. I guess, I mean, it did the ending. I guess the ending worked for you guys. I, I just, sure. yeah, I was yeah. frustrated. I didn't think it earned the happy ending. Um, well, I don't think it earns, I don't think it earns the happy ending necessarily, but like that's, you know, my, sort of like my, if I had to put this movie into like a, a genre space, I don't think I would call it horror. I, I think this movie is an adult fairy tale and looked at, because that's the only way, because you're right. A lot of, in, in conventional senses, in terms of a horror movie or a Western movie, a lot of the plot mechanics and the beats don't really work. But I think if you look at it like a fairy tale and, you know, more as a, a dreamlike thing, it may it makes a lot more sense. And, you know, and in that world, the movie has a happy ending because it has to have a happy ending. And I almost feel like the movie knows that the happy ending is BS. Like there's because it does feel it feels very perfunctory. May sort of yes. wakes up on the transfusion table and, you know, looks almost bewildered. And it's hard to tell if she's bewildered because it worked or if she's bewildered that they've done it at all. I do think there's a, a question 
in that mo- in those last moments when he quote unquote rescues her and takes her home and transfuses her or whatever, I think there's a question of consent there. Like, and especially when you compare that the you know the human reality or whatever to the way she's talking earlier in the movie has he by giving her this transfusion has he let diminished her somehow you know i mean there's it's a complicated question and that's part of why i like this movie so much is i think there's a lot of complicated ways of looking at it but you know as far as as far as that goes yeah i was it's one of those movies where I, I agree that I don't think the ending 100% works, but I think that the reason the ending doesn't 100% work is because I don't think this movie should end. <laughs> like, this movie is almost in that way like a Monty Python sketch where, where you know, where so often the Pythons just wouldn't end a sketch and let it bleed into something else. I would kind of rather this movie just bled into something else and continued that sort of dream logic of never really ending and just sort of metamorphosing into, into some other, you know, nightmare. I think it kind of, it worked itself into a tough place when you, when they introduced the dad and the sister, like from there, it's like, I feel like they wrote themselves into a hole and was like, Oh, how do we get out of this? Because, you know, you can't have the dad in this. I suppose you could have the dad die. You can't have the little sister die. I think people would like. I would have hated that. I don't want to see that little girl die. Like, I kind of wanted to see her. <laughs> okay. Well, oh, see, I, other people like dark, cynical stuff too. All right. Well, there you go. No, I, yeah, I, I know. You, you asked earlier about if Ben wanted this movie to end with everyone dying. I very much wanted this movie. to end <laughs> I, I'd love with to see Caleb die. be like, "All right, I'm a vampire. I'm not. I'm killing you guys, and that's going to be my last act." And May, let's look at the sunset together and explode or whatever they want to do. Um, but that, that, that was what I most wanted, Eric. But I think there's other directions that could have worked, too. Uh, but you're right. I mean, people don't want the girl to die, really. That's not a very commercially happy idea. This um, was hardly a... <laughs> That's true. That's true. It wasn't that commercial. It's proven anything. Yeah. It's that it's not commercial. So then, yeah. Then, then, then Should have went for it, go for it, I guess. Yeah. Then, yeah, go for it then. Um, and, I just don't I, think I don't think Bigelow cares. Like at well, any, that's interesting. At any point in this, because like she doesn't care about the fangs or the you know this movie doesn't have the scene where Lestat sits down with Brad Pitt and hashes out all the vampire mechanics and all that nonsense. Sure. She does not care. You know the transfusion. Like for anybody who's seen any vampire movie. The transfusion solution makes zero sense, and it's <laughs> it and like it really doesn't. It doesn't, and I don't think she cares about it. And because she doesn't care about it, I don't care. I would care a lot more if there was a five-minute scene of some you know doctor character you've never seen before sitting down and being like, "Well, the way that this disease works is it attacks the white blood cells. So if we inject you with this kind of if there was all kinds of you know." pseudoscience logic in it it wouldn't work well but sure. since the whole movie I don't want that. that logic of it works because i said it does i'm completely fine with that uh, see i i and maybe you're you're reading this as a fairy tale and i guess maybe that logic makes sense i view this as in just more of a hedonistic nihilistic way uh you know being a vampire means you've got to kill to sustain yourself the existence is is miserable. 
Um, but these people are like strict pragmatists, it seems like, and I get that vibe from them the whole time. Like, hey, I got to do this. Uh, and then in the end, they kind of make a bunch of goofy choices. Nobody gets to make a real ethical choice. Nobody ends up having a real ethical dilemma, really. Um, and we just think, oh, hey, May, you got to spend four years as a vampire killing people for a long time. And now you're going to go, I guess, be with this guy. I don't know if her family's still around. It, it just didn't make a choice. I felt like it didn't make a choice. Just kind of blah. I mean, Homer runs out after the girl and explodes because he's so lonely. That scene was like, a little. That was a little tough. The the and, flames were. That was a little tough. That was and, amazing. I it want, looks I need, great. I need a five minute behind the scenes of how they rotoscoped those flames onto this kid's face. We all the flame stuff worked great. It looks great. Yeah. All of those All of the like, burned... Oh, incredible. Is, yeah. The makeup is awesome. Makeup. It looks they, so like, convincing. The coat over their head and the smoke coming up. Yeah, was, that was Even really the first cool. time you see it with Caleb, and he's yeah. like, he doesn't even know anything. He's like, oh, wait, I think he's smoking. Am I saying, oh, yeah, he's smoking. It's not dust. He's smoking. It looks it looks incredible. Well, it's, uh, it's but then you're like... Jesse and Diamondback would leave. Like they'd be like, all right, well, I guess we're going to go start a new surrogate family somewhere else. Our kids all did a bunch of crazy stuff. Uh, our, our boy, Bill Paxton, he basically committed suicide because he's so insane that he didn't realize he was going to explode, I guess, inside. Um, it's because been- they all feel so hard. They all just feel so much. Bill Paxton is so mad at this guy who took his spur and has now broken his heart. I, I get the Bill Paxton's character. He's the one who makes the most sense. He's just a lunatic. Yeah, I mean, he's just an out-and-out lunatic. Lunatics. Like See, we, I guess we, I got a more pragmatic vibe. I mean, so Jesse survived since the Civil War, at least. He's, whatever, 100 years old, 120, if, whatever if it is. he isn't lying. But well, isn't okay. he isn't he younger than the little kid? Didn't we? Don't we establish that in the movie that the little kid's actually the oldest one? Or did well, I miss we, you I that? Was, I was going to say, we have barely talked about Homer for the people right. who aren't as familiar with this movie. Homer is a, what, 10 or 12-year-old Yeah, I thought 12, well, but give or take, whatever. Played, I don't remember the actor's name, but he's played by that kid from Teen Witch, the weird kid from Teen Witch. And he is killing it. He, is, he brings such creepy little kid energy, and he does such a good job of playing that... Uh, you know, adult trapped in a kid's body thing in this movie. And he's so jealous of Caleb because we find out that Homer is the one who had initially turned May. And so he's so jealous that now May is spending all this time with Caleb and that it, and also that it can work out between the two of them. Right. You know, and I think it's both, I think there's an Oedipal aspect to it. I think there's a, you know, both in the, we talked about Caleb and May having a sort of that mother-child thing, but also the lover thing. And I think that Homer's just really jealous of all of that. And he's just such this, he's such this weird little creep. And that actor was so good at those roles. It's, I wish he had done more stuff because he, like, I wish that kid had been in Goonies. That's, that's the oh. creepy energy that that movie's missing. Get him in there. I oh man I just started watching Goonies with my oldest. Uh, I don't think it needs more creepy energy. <laughs> I think Goonies is almost perfect for a while. It's not a perfect movie, but for the first act, it's pretty close to perfect. Um, but interesting, yeah. I mean, it, it isn't a first introduction to Homer. Doesn't he grab Caleb by his junk and say in the trailer? Yeah. 
it's like, oh, geez, what a what a way to start. Um, what a guy. What a guy. Well, and it's amazing to me, too, how much, you know, we talked about how comparatively, comparatively little a cultural impact this movie seems like it had. But at the same time, you see echoes of that stuff in other things, right? Like there's echoes of Homer in Kirsten Dunst in right. oh, yeah. Interview with the Vampire, for sure which is, you know, a movie that takes it much more seriously. And then there's, oh, yeah. and then all the stuff with the cars where they drive around in this movie in these cars and they spray black spray paint on the windows or cover them with tin foil, or they run out into the sun with heavy overcoats over their heads. They do that stuff in Buffy all of the time. Like there are so many scenes of Spike running around in a spray painted car with a coat over him. That like definitely this move the people who were making stuff like this saw Near Dark and remembered it, but you know for whatever stupid legal reason, you know we we haven't been able to for so long. But yeah, it's amazing those those echoes. I think another scene we haven't talked about was the motel shootout. Like <laughs> and, and and again, Catherine Bigelow, one of the if not maybe one her and Cameron got to be one and two best action directors out there like so good at filming an action sequence they're just top tier and I really loved that that whole shootout I I mean was it necessary for the plot no but I loved watching it and kind of was and you know the the van ramming into the motel and getting them out like get them escaping was just so cool like again that was definitely like a western you know, you, they came up on the the law, came up to the the bad guys, the gang, and they had to fight their way out of it. But boy, has it done so well! And the, again, the smoke. Anytime a, a beam of light would come through the motel, there'd be this smoke. Paxton, you know, once he got there was a bullet hole in the front door, he starts burning up. It's just so great. And, and oh yeah, the action is is incredible. But I think that that scene I thought was really important is we needed Caleb to earn some trust with the bandits that he's maybe going to join but we don't have him kill anybody yet because that's kind of the will he, won't he tension for a while. And that way he's able to endear himself without, I guess, losing his soul. I don't know if that's, but I don't know. I mean, I mean, he does, he does kill a bunch of people in this movie, right? It's just that they're vampires. How much does Caleb actually kill the vampires versus the vampires? Weird decision-making causes them to die or may, May saves him basically, right? I mean, I mean at the May, very least, at the very least, Caleb's choices lead to all the vampires dying. Sure, but also, I mean, you talked about how subversion. May, May is the yeah. one that saves Caleb at the end. If May uh, doesn't knock away Jesse's gun, I mean, presumably he's going to shoot Caleb, and Caleb's going to bleed out on Main Street. Um, and she also saves uh, his sister. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe that you've convinced me this is actually May's movie because Caleb yeah. doesn't oh, Caleb really do sucks. anything. He just Caleb's is kind of a work of nothing. Yeah, he doesn't. And that's do part. That's the part of why he does I like is the save the vampires. So he only saves them. You know, that that hotel scene. That's the only time he saves them. Otherwise, he's just kind of a, a passenger. Um, right. And that's and that's you know where I, where I come back to the fairy tale thing. The protagonist is always the most boring character in the fairy tale. Right. And part of why I, I like the vampire characters so much is because Caleb is such a nothing. Like, I don't care about Caleb. You're talking, this is May's movie because Caleb doesn't really learn or change anything. He doesn't no. have an arc, really. He doesn't, he's nothing. He doesn't grow. He doesn't change. May's the one that changes, both literally and metaphor. Like, 
she sees, oh, I guess maybe, you know, killing people is wrong. I thought it was worth it to live eight billion years, but she's the one who actually changes. But does she, like, I don't even know if I think she changes, really. Oh, I mean, she changes because she's given a blood transfusion, but she doesn't, yeah. I mean, the, the degree of her change is she comes around to realizing that she doesn't want to hang out with these other vampires anymore. But I don't know that she ever really makes a moral decision about that she shouldn't be killing people. I mean, I guess maybe I disagree because she definitely doesn't, I guess, well, before Caleb, she wouldn't. I don't think she would have ever swatted Jesse's gun away when he was trying to shoot somebody. I don't think that would have ever happened. Yeah, she and loved Caleb. She loved Caleb. Right. And yeah. then she also saved Caleb's sister. Caleb's mm-hmm. sister, she literally risked her life to pull the sister out of the station wagon or whatever it is. And that's when Homer follows them in a desperate attempt to find his new companion or whatever. Um, but yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just true love. She meets. Uh, she's transformed by the what, love of vampires. A good man. Can't, vampires can't find true love, Ben. Is that what you're saying? Let, no, give they can. Team. It's clearly. What about true love between Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt? That's as true a love as has ever been committed to film. Or Keanu oh, and definitely... Keanu and Swayze. They were. They loved each other. Oh, it, can you imagine if they were vampires? <laughs> can you imagine night surfing? Point Come break. On. Let's write it now. Point break as vampires. It needs to happen. Oh, man. Okay. Well, no, people can love each other. I'm. I'm. I'm advocating that May was transformed by the love of a, a good man. I don't know. I mean, no, she clearly loves him. And that's what motivates it. She's yeah. I don't know. She's right, the one that's with the moral I, I choice at all. Going back to, does she love him like a romantic partner, or does she love him like a dog? I think <laughs> yeah. d- dog you know? is probably because she never really matter, kissed but yeah. him. He, he was always the one trying to kiss her. No, for for a movie that's as sexy as this movie is, there is absolutely no no nothing graphic. I, in that honestly, I was shocked. But I was totally expecting a gratuitous sex scene. In an 80s movie, a rated R 80s movie, and there's no sex scene. I was kind of blown away by that. No, there's there's just a lot of there's just a lot of biting people's arms. Yeah, a lot of throat slitting and yeah, that, blood that, draining. Yeah, put that in the dog camp. But, you know, biting the hand that feeds you, literally. Yeah, ah, uh, pretty good. See what you did there. She, she is very maternalistic too. She's always like stroking his head as he's laying there. That's okay. That's something. Well, uh, unless anybody has anything else they want to add, should we should we just give our letterbox or rating on the movie? Sure. All right, Eric. As Eric Houston as our as our guest, would you like to go first? If if you have a rating out of five stars, you'd like to give it? Yes. Well, of course, I am on Letterboxd, okay. so feel free to follow me there, Eric R. Houston. Uh, I, I gave this thing five out of five, and and a like, a little little heart. Mm-hmm. Is that the strongest amount of affection you can give it on Letterboxd is a heart? Yeah. The, the most you can like a movie on Letterboxd is five stars and a heart. Okay. I didn't know if there were different emoticons, if there was like Do a, you a a question. Strong... Do you have like different ca- – like, you know, we did um, The Toxic Avenger. Like, that's a tough movie to rate because, like, is it a great movie? Eh, not really. Like, do you sure. – re- yeah, like, would absolutely. you put this up against – like five, so like Oscar-winning best movies you've seen, kind of thing. Or I'm just wondering, like, where you're, where, where do you, where are you going with the five star? 
Sure. Well, one, I mean, I think that, you know, all of this is, is subjective, right? So sure. as much as possible when I'm rating something, it's based on how much I liked it, right? And to me, five stars is perennial favorite. Like the first time I watched this movie, I absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, that affection was not diminished in any way for me on the second viewing. I don't think a movie needs to be perfect to be worth five stars. I always think of um, Citizen Kane, uh, which is absolutely one of my favorite movies. And obviously everybody loves it. But there's that shot near the end of Citizen Kane where he does a transition with a super tight close-up of a parrot that's like rotoscoped, but it's rotoscoped wrong. So you can see through its eyeball into the scene and it doesn't look right. Every movie has its crappy parrot shot. Okay. So I don't think you need to be perfect to be five stars, but yes, would I put this up against other, anything else I've rated five stars or the supposed greats of cinema? Absolutely. I would, I say without hesitation, sir, today, that this is Catherine Bigelow's finest movie. Whoa, I think this is the better movie. From one Eric to another. Okay. I, I think this is a better movie than The Hurt Locker. I agree. I think this is a better movie than Point Break. And I would put this up against any movie you would care to throw at me. Yeah, I, Zero Dark Thirty's got that's got that has an age great, so that's a tough one. But wow, I don't know if I would say it's her best movie. Um, interesting, not total sidebar. She hasn't put out a movie in a really long time. What's going on there? I don't understand. I was just looking well, that, at I, what was Detroit? Detroit. Is that yeah. the name of the last one? Yeah, that I, didn't go very well. So that's you think it's just a reflection of that because that was. I I'm think she's, she's, just I think she's in a little bit of director jail, just like a little bit. Oh, really? Okay. And Cameron gets to make uh, Blue People movies for the rest of his life. Interesting. He's been working 13 years. It's coming eventually in this, this December. When you are personally responsible for two of the top five highest grossing films of all time, you get to make whatever movie you want to. So we need, we need Catherine Bigelow to make the next Avengers movie or something like that so she can keep cranking can you, them up can you imagine <laughs> can you imagine i would love it rated r avengers directed what, by Catherine what would Bigelow. be a good marvel movie for Catherine bigelow to make like x-men blade can or something be, yeah. can you imagine oh, yeah. her what's like, kevin feige gonna let her do though i mean he's not gonna let her make it violent and and this level fine. i can get over that but like can you uh, imagine her bringing this spirit like this attitude to an x-men see, movie I don't like think if you would. if instead of may may was kitty pride that would be Bill Paxton Rogue. as Wolverine. Yeah. Come on. Yes. Bring him back from the dead. Let's get it going. That's a movie. Yes. yes. Wow. Now Beyond be... could be Cyclops. <laughs> yes. Oh, let's do it. Well, so I'm not as I'm not as quite as high in this movie as you are, Eric uh, Houston. I give it a four star. I, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, the the Bill Paxton. I mean, just the, I'm I'm gonna just YouTube the those scenes just to get if I'm feeling a little down and I want to feel good, I'm just gonna watch Bill Paxton cook. So uh, four stars for me. That's that's where I land on this. Well, I agree with one of the two Eric's. Which one is it? Boom, boom, boom. Uh, four stars for me. I, I'm totally enamored for two thirds of the movie. And even if Catherine Bigelow didn't really care how it ended or just kind of like, blah, here's your ending, blah, done. Just deal with it. It bothered me enough that I was like, oh, I felt so close to being almost a perfect movie. I don't mean perfect in the, in the sense that there's no bad shots. Obviously, you can have some dumb shot in it that wouldn't necessarily invalidate the whole movie. It just didn't didn't 
stick the landing. It didn't make a choice. It flinched. It, it had the chance to go for it, and then it just like, meh. You know, and it's fine if Captain Bigelow didn't care, but she made me care for two-thirds of the movie, and then I felt kind of bummed out and frustrated with the the bizarre, well, we're just going to end it. it Not it, enough it, to keep it from being a bad movie. It's it's super, it's compelling. I recommend watching it for sure, but it's not going to be up there in my all-time, I love this movie so much, and I'm sorry, I talked over you, Eric Houston. Oh, I was trying to talk over you, so that's fine. But no, I was just going to say, I just want to clarify, when I say that I don't think Catherine Bigelow cared about things, I just mean those things weren't her priority. I sure, think she cared about this movie very the, much. Oh, no, no, no. I yeah, I didn't, I'm not saying she didn't care about the movie at all. Yeah. I'm saying she, she I, I felt like we were on a certain trajectory, and there are like three, four different ways we could have turned. And we just, instead of turning any of those, we just kind of stopped. Yeah, I mean, kinda, I, I think the movie ended. I think it's like a Marx Brothers movie where you get to the 90 minutes and they're just like, I guess this is over now. Yeah, that, that would make some sense. But that's kind of how I felt. It, just, it petered out. It did, didn't, like you sold me so much on the misery of this, uh, on the visceral nihilistic, and thrill, it could be thrill, because I mean, Bill Paxton's definitely having fun being a vampire murdering people. And then, mm, no, not quite. So, I mean, that's that's my biggest qualm. Um, and I say this liking so many of the shots in the end. I like the semi. I like him walking into or riding a horse into town. I mean, I was giddy. I was like, I love that shot. I just don't think it works the gel together. Well, you mentioned shots. Like, the way that she films Dusk, you know, with the sun coming up, it's so beautiful. Like, it, oh, you know, over the, like, Texas incredible. fields and ranches. Really I amazing. I love the setting. The setting yeah. is just immaculate. It's just incredible. How about um, the part where they've set the RV on fire and they're standing silhouetted against this burning RV? Yeah. Oh, my I God. I get the impression that the vampires seem to only ever do anything, like, two hours before sunrise. Yeah, their timing is terrible. Yeah. I'm like, why aren't you guys starting your stuff earlier in the evening? It's or always just... Get these right guys before. Get these guys a couple of coffins, too. Like, what are we doing here? Get a coffin, throw it in the back of the truck, you know? Yeah, get a watch. Get a watch. So next thing, the five degrees of Field of Dreams. Everybody's been waiting for this. Um, Eric, would you like to to go first? Would you like to connect this film, Near Dark, to Field of Dreams in five steps? Eric, I would love to. That's the kind of energy. That's the Bill Paxton energy we need for this. Now, I tried. uh, This is my first time doing this, so I think I did this right. Here we go. So uh, Near Dark, you've got your Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton is in Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. Who's in Risky Business with your favorite and mine, Curtis Armstrong, who is in Revenge of the Nerds with Timothy Busfield. Oh, I love it. Who is in Field of Dreams. I love it. Oh, I love it. Awesome. Love Edge of Tomorrow. Great movie. I forgot Bill Paxton was in that. I did, too. just like the angry (laughs) drill sergeant guy. Yeah. Well, hopefully, so hopefully we can do all Bill Paxton because I went Bill Paxton too. Um, so I went Near Dark, Bill Paxton. He's in Aliens with uh, Jeanette Goldstein. I was trying to do a see if I could do an all uh, Cameron one. Didn't work out. Then I went to Terminator 2 and Jeanette Goldstein's also in that. She plays uh, his stepmom, I think. Yes, I believe that's right. Yeah, she dies by the T-1000. Uh, Joe Morton is also in Terminator 2. He's in Zack Snyder's Justice League, a uh, real winner of a film. 
And our guy, technically his voice, he's credited as an actor in Zack Snyder's Justice League, Kevin Costner, and he's in Field of Dreams. Wow. And, of course, we all know Paxton and Goldstein were also in Titanic together. Oh, she's in Titanic? She's in Titanic. She's one of the, um, one of the like, you know, people in steerage. I forget what they refer to them as, but. Okay. All right. Well, um. Just on a side note, the, the lead of this is Adrian Pazder, and I spent most of the movie wondering, where do I know this guy from? And I tried my best to not look it up. I was thinking, how do I know this guy? How do I know this guy? And then I, I eventually had to cave. Uh, he, he's one of the characters in Heroes, which I definitely haven't seen all of, but I was really into for a couple of seasons. He's some mayor guy in that. Um, doesn't get here nor there. Who is he in this movie? The lead, Caleb. He's the guy that plays oh, Caleb. Oh, yes, you're right. I, I spent the whole movie, too. Like, how do I? He was in some TV show. Yep. Okay. Yeah, he's the guy that can fly, and he's yep. the mayor. Um, yep. So it, was, it drove me absolutely batty. But I finally got that result. Um, so, no, I did not do Bill Paxton. Sorry. Um, I used this guy, Adrian Pastor. He's in Top Gun. Um, that's his first role. He's one of the he's one of the military guys. I don't remember what is the small role. Um, obviously, I did use Tom Cruise, though. Tom Cruise um, is the lead in Top Gun. And Tom Cruise is also in a movie called Interview with a Vampire, which we referenced a few times. And then uh, Christian Slater is also in Interview with a Vampire. And Christian Slater is in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner, who is in Field of Dreams. Very nice. That was my route. Awesome. Well, so the next thing we'll do to reveal the movie we're doing next week, um, we're going to do a little trivia. So I'll I'll give five clues. Um, Again, the clues are uh, giving you what, what the next movie we're doing next week is. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to guess the movie. Trying to guess the movie. Uh, I'll do one clue at a time. We have been kind of doing. You, you get one guess throughout the whole thing, but you can keep guessing. It's it's fine. Okay. But Eric Lane, is this your pick? Uh, no, uh, we had a, we have a guest uh, okay. next week as well, and he picked this film. Um, okay. So was not my choice. So okay. is it Monkey Bone? <laughs> yes, oh. you you got it. <laughs> Brendan Fraser's best. <laughs> Uh, no, not Monkey Bone. Okay, clue number one. This movie lost the Palme d'Or at Cannes to a movie titled Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days. Unhelpful. Well, Unhelpful. If, you, if you knew that movie, it would give the year that this movie was released. But I don't, but I don't. Right. I, I'm I gonna, don't. Well, I, I'm a strong believer that you have to take your, you still have to take a shot you, just in case. So I'm going to say it shakes the clown. Nope. Okay. Is that the what? What is Shakes the Clown? That's not the Jerry Lewis movie, is it? No, that's uh, Bobcat Goldthwait and uh, Jackie Brown. Okay. The, it, okay. Also, also Palm Dior winning film. Yeah. Well, it <laughs> lost the Palm. Dior. Oh right, right. Yeah. It was nominated though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. The title. Uh, clue number two. The title of this movie was taken from the opening line of a 20th century Irish poem by William Butler Yeats. Yates, Yates, I think that's how that's pronounced. And the title of the poem is Sailing to <laughs> Byzantium. Byzantium, sorry. Uh, my Squint a little harder, buddy. My writing's not good. Sailing to Byzantium yeah. is okay. the poem. Unhelpful. I will guess Far from the Madding Crowd. No. <laughs> that's not it. 
Uh, okay, the star of this movie sued Paramount for bonuses and improper expense deductions, eventually resolving it in 2010 with Paramount paying this actor more than $17 million. Okay. This is a movie people have seen, right? Very, very much so, yes. Okay. Um... So little, give you a little more clue uh, when, I'm, when I'm it gonna, was out. Well, I'm gonna, I want to make a guess. I'm gonna say it's National Lampoon's European Vacation. No. Okay. Uh, this movie was based on a novel released in 2005. And you're sure it's not European Vacation? <laughs> oh, 2005. At least I'm in the right decade, maybe. Um, I guess between 2005 and 2010. Okay. No, Is no it, guess. Is it no. adaptation? No. That was 2002. No. But I lo- that's literally one of my all-time favorite movies. That's, a, that's an incredible that movie. movie. Uh, no. So last clue. This film won the Academy Award for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Okay. Um... Supporting so, actor? Supporting actor, yep. I mean, I can, so I can go through... So Crash won in 2005, 2006 was Departed, 2007 is No Country for Old Men, um, 2008 oh, no Slumdog Millionaire, 2009 is Hurt Locker. Um, what, guess, sorry, what was your guess, Eric? Was it No Country for Old Men then? Ben, do you have a guess? Of all those ones that won Best Picture in that era, uh, No Country for Old Men makes the most sense to me. Ding, 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 ding. Yes, that is correct. No Country for Old Men. That's the I never would have come up with that if Ben wasn't listing off Academy. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty okay with movie years. My brain can somehow do the chronology. kind of sticks. And I, once upon a time, went through and watched all the Best Picture winners a couple decades ago. Our <laughs> first Best Picture winner on the Pot of Dreams that we'll, we will have done. Well, a Toxic Avenger was our first. This will be our second. I mean, it's up there, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, I believe that movie won a special award for head crushing. <laughs> Very, yeah, it's got to have. It deserved the it. They should have created a special category. It deserved right? a special. Although absolute. near dark, there was almost a head crush, right? Didn't he? He, he broke. He ended up breaking the guy's neck in the bar. But I thought, I really thought he was just going to squash his head. Sure, that would have been pretty good. Was that? It was Lance Hendrickson, right? He was the one. Sque- or was it Paxton? Maybe I can't remember now. Someone was squeezing, I, squeezing a head. Sure. I believe it was Mark McKinney. <laughs> it was a little, the little kid. Uh, all right. Well, unless uh, unless you guys have anything else to say about Near Dark, I just want to give another special thanks to Eric Houston, North Metro TV, MovieManEric.com. Thank oh you so God. much for joining. Uh, it was a real pleasure. Thank. I had a great time. Thank you guys so much for inviting me on. Uh, yeah. Big thanks. This is a movie I don't think I would have seen um, if you hadn't. Had us watch it, and my life is better for having seen it. It was, Ooh. despite my qualms, it was excellent. It's like, wow. Well, I mean, yeah. we're, we've been arguing between five stars and four stars. Right. I think we can all say we all liked the movie I had a great time. Much. Yes. Yes. Well, thanks again. Um, any, if you want to just speak on anything, go ahead. Otherwise, we'll, we'll call it here. The floor is yours. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so many topics I could possibly talk about. I, again, I will just say thank you very much for having me on. Uh, you guys have a, have a great show here. I appreciate you letting me guest on it and shoot my mouth off about a semi-obscure vampire movie. 
And uh, yeah, please go look at my things and I hope that you like them and that you leave me positive comments. Right, well, you get a heart from me. I, I'm giving oh! you a heart. Ah, all right. All oh, right. my goodness. All oh, right. my goodness. Two hearts. Two Great. Hearts. Well, well, thanks again. And uh, go watch No Country for Old Men for next week. And we will talk to you later. 